0: We're in Ephesians 4 today, as we continue to go through Ephesians, discovering what we are here for. Ephesians 4 is a a transition point in the text, in the letter. I think it's worth looking back for a moment at what we've been finding as we've been through the first three chapters that we are, we just sang about it, we are sinners. (sighs) Saved by grace through faith, and we are made saints. You are a saint, Paul says, with good work to do, to bring about God's kingdom, to participate in God's mission here on earth that goes before us. And chapter two reminded us, and do not forget it, we are all invited. There is nothing that you can do that I can do to make God love us more or less. We are invited And we are chosen to be a member of God's household. And I wish so much that the world knew, the whole world knew that it is the only place to be. Chapter four. Beginning in verse one. I'm gonna read the first 16 verses, so settle in as we are blessed by God's word. Therefore, I, the prisoner in the Lord, urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received with with all humility and gentleness, with, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit Just as we were called to one hope, as you were called to one hope at your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all who is above all and through all and in all. Now, grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. For it says, when he ascended on high, he took the captives captive. He gave gifts to people. But what does he ascended mean? Except that he also descended into the lower parts of the earth. The one who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens to fill all things. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, equipping the saints for the work of ministry to build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in the faith And in the knowledge of God's son growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. Then we will no longer be little children tossed by the waves and and blown around by every wind of teaching by human cunning and and cleverness and the techniques of deceit. But speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into him who is the head Christ From him, the whole body, fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament, promotes the growth of the body for building up itself in love by the proper working of each individual part. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. There's that word, therefore, which contains herefore. Therefore, I, the prisoner in the Lord, urge you to live worthy of the calling you have received. I remind you of a couple of months ago we began, and I haven't backed off of it because it, it affected me. At Luke 9 and 10, where we saw Jesus talking to the disciples about what they were here for. And that was to go out and preach that the kingdom of God is near and to heal every disease and sickness that is what we are here for, right there in Luke nine and ten. Now I ask you to connect that with what Paul 's saying here that we would live a life worthy of the calling, the calling that we have received. Would you consider this word with me for a moment? calling also uh, vocation could be used as well. I, I got to speak at Staff Chapel at the Brentwood campus a couple of weeks ago. And, and the text that I had, it, it drew me back to something I learned from author, pastor, theologian, Frederick Buechner, uh, some years ago. He wrote quite beautifully, I believe, on vocation. And he said this about vocation. He said, vocation for us, as we think about this from an individual perspective, some of you in this room, maybe high school, college, Maybe you're transitioning, maybe thinking about what you do every day. And so bignor was speaking into this, and he said, vocation is should be where our heart's deep gladness and the world's deep hunger collide. It's beautiful. Not always can be perfectly true. I get that some of us have to, to do jobs that may, we may not always understand how it fits, with what our deep gladness is. But I think it is good counsel to aspire to love what we do. I've been fortunate to always have so far in life been able to do that. But Bigner goes on to explain this a little bit. And he says, you know, if you are selling cigarette ads, it's probably arguable that that's not what the world needs you to do even if it makes you tremendously happy. Fill in the blank with whatever that is. Or if you're a doctor at a leper colony, pretty easy to argue that that is something the world needs for you to do. But if you hate it, chances are you're not doing a very good job at it. So he reminds us where our deep gladness and where our deep hunger, the world's deep hunger, collides, is where vocation is. I'm I'm, I'm encouraged by that, and I commend that to you this morning as we think about calling, because calling is an important word. It is God welcoming us into God's presence and God's action in the world. We are called to to proclaim that the kingdom of God is near. We are called to heal every disease and sickness. We are called to as Dustin said, to be thoughts salt and light in the world, to continue the life and the work of Jesus from Bellevue, from Middle Tennessee, from Tennessee, from the United States and throughout the world. To continue the very life and work of Jesus, to to engage in our mission statement. To engage each whole person with the whole gospel of Jesus Christ, anytime, anywhere and with any body. Our primary call, Ephesians is beckoning us to understand Paul is sounding the trumpet for us to believe, to hear, believe, and then fall in line with is that we are called to follow Jesus so closely. Everything is comprised in that. And I got to tell you, it's not about, I'm so glad you're here this morning. This would be weird if nobody were here, but it's not about church attendance, It's just not. It's not one day a week. Christianity saints are saints all the time. It's what make them saints. The calling that we are called to is specific to us as a church, and we cannot just be this church one hour a week. We will fail miserably miserably at what God is calling us to be and to do in the word. The word for church is ekklesia. It's the Greek term, and it's not necessarily a special term. I might get in trouble for saying that, but I believe it's true. It's not a special term in and of itself. In the Greek, it just means assembly. It just means that we do come together. But we as the body of Christ take church to an elevated meaning. It is not just an assembly because we are gathered for a specific purpose. It is not special just that we gather. It does not matter where we gather or when we gather as much as it matters why we gather. And that is what Paul is concerned with here, why we gather, because why we gather is directly, inextricably tied up with what we are here for. All that we do together, disciples making disciples is to make us two things that Paul reveals in these 16 verses. He wants us to be more mature and he wants us to be united. More mature and united. So let's start with maturity. Maturity. Something that I'm still working toward. It means refusing to live a reduced life. Refusing a minimalist spirituality because church, this, us, is a gift that we have been given to have the means to continue a conversational relationship with God and in turn with one another. Like we can have a relationship with God and with one another that gives us life and breath and energy that allows us to carry out what our calling is in the world, to give us absolute joy. I've showed you this diagram for a couple of weeks now. We are related without break to God because of God. And because of that, we can love one another well. This is possible because of Christ. Maturity. We can actually get along. The text says we are called to grow to the full stature of Christ as we are disciples making disciples. Verses 12 and 13, let's look back at them. Jason Dukes would just, he just goes nuts over this word and he's right to do so, equip. How many times did you hear him say it? Thousands, equipping the saints for the work of ministry to build up the body of Christ until we reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's son, growing into maturity. Unity and maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. We, we've got some kids in Chicago, students who are on mission there. We, we, we prayed for Nathan Foster, who's in Mexico. We're sending several young children off to, uh, it's not Center Kid, but it's like it. It's the best week ever. I forget what we call it next week, but it's kids camp. And, um, so I've been think, thinking about our kids a lot and how they imagine what we do here and why we do it and what they're learning. Some of the most important work we do. I'm grateful that my church cared for kids when I was one growing up. I want our kids to think of their church family fondly. <laughs> I want them to think about their church and think, yeah, they weren't weird. They didn't tell me what I, what I had to believe and they didn't get super angry with me when I messed up because they had a proper understanding of themselves as sinners. So they expected me to be one as well and they did teach me that God loves me just as I am and they taught me that life was better when my goal was not to climb some earthly ladder that doesn't even exist anyway, but to mature with a stature that is measured only by the very fullness of Christ. I tell you often, there's nowhere where we are supposed to be on this journey other than farther along. That's what I mean. Maturity is is what I'm getting at when I say that. And yeah, we go backwards sometimes. We continue to mess up. I don't fully understand why that is. I wish it weren't that way. It just is. Sin is still in the world. We are still infected by it. But we are so much more infected by the goodness of God. And we can make the right decisions as we go about our day. And we certainly can help one another to do so. We can be who Christ has called us to be in so many situations because we are called to maturity. And Christ is in us to make us more so. Second, unity. I'm fired up today. I don't know why I'm so excited. I believe this. So, I believe, I believe this. And I've been here, what, I don't know, 15 weeks. So I, don't, I don't know how united we are. I have been thrilled that I have not had anybody banging on my office door saying, this has to change, whatever this is. And I I don't know, maybe you're waiting till later to do that, but (laughs) so far so good. I want to, Frederick Bigner, who I mentioned earlier, when he was younger, uh, he's he's much older now and and, um, still living, but much older. But when he was younger, he taught at a prep school called um, Phillips Exeter Prep school up in New Hampshire, a very prestigious preparatory school, and one of his students was the grandson of President Eisenhower. His name was David. And for what it's worth, Bigner says David's—he seemed to manage all the possible pitfalls that come with being related to someone famous. He was an intelligent, pl- you know, pleasurable, kind chap. Bigner says. Now, Bigner juxtaposed that with, with um, some editorializing in this story because he, he wasn't a huge Eisenhower fan, didn't vote for him. Well, he said this about Eisenhower. As far as I was concerned, he, he not only spent too much time on the golf course with the likes of Bob Hope and Bing Crosby, he was also sorely lacking in moral courage. When Joe McCarthy accused President Eisenhower's old friend, General George C. Marshall, of being a communist, he never spoke out in his defense. And during the civil rights crisis in the South, he failed, Bigner believes, to take a firm, to ta- he failed to take a firm stand against school segregation. And when the governor of Arkansas threatened to prevent a black child from being allowed to enter the doors of the Little Rock High School, he ended up doing his presidential duty by calling the National Guard to come out. Many of you in this room will remember this. I'm not old enough to, but I've read the stories. And, and in doing so, the day was saved. But Beigner argues that only if with Eisenhower's enormous prestige and great popularity that he had gone down himself to Arkansas and personally led that child up the school stairs, perhaps he could have changed the course of history. Very critical analysis by Buechner that is purely opinion, but I think worth noting. And so he has these feelings and he has his grandson, who's this wonderful chap, in his class. Well, a few years go by, and Eisenhower is actually invited to speak at the, graduation, at the commencement when David graduates, which makes sense. And so Bigner got to be around him, and there was a lunch earlier in the day, and, and Bigner and Eisenhower were at the same lunch table. Bigner says this, What I was not prepared for was the president's smile. It was not a public relations smile. It was not a vote-getting smile. It was a, not a smile that he'd worked up for the occasion. It was a smile that held nothing back and asked nothing back. And all those years that Bigner had badmouthed him and not voted for him, they were literally washed away by being in his presence. Bigner said, I knew I would follow him into the jaws of death. It just so happened that later in the day, Wigner and Eisenhower were two of the f- people on the stage for the ceremony, and they ended up, because it was warm, standing over under an elm tree together, and they began to talk. And there was a dog that kind of got loose amongst the chairs before the seats had filled up, and Wigner remarked, says, you know, that seems to always happen at these graduation ceremonies, there's some random dog that runs around and... Finds its way, and Eisenhower agreed, and he said, Yeah, I remember I was at a West Point graduation some years ago and the, the random stray dog actually ended up on the stage and came, fell in line with the cadets. And as it became the dog's turn, the person giving the diplomas out looked up and said, "Now nah, we've got to draw the line somewhere. <laughs> well, Bigner and Eisenhower had a good laugh. Over that story, and Buechner says this, that for the last time, I got to see the smile of his that made me, made him almost believe that everything would turn out right in the end. I love that story, and I tell you that story because I think it illustrates that we, we really can be united in spite of the different ways we think about things. That's some of the greatest news that we have in the gospel of Jesus Christ, is that that wall of hostility that we talked about in chapter 2, that I just won't shut up about because I think it's so important, has been torn down, not moved over there or over there, done away with. And there is nothing that is in between you and me. So when Paul talks about unity, it is not a passing thought. Is it something that he expects of the church? Because it is not the church without it. We are joined together for worship, to sing, to hear one another pray, clap, whatever, pass the peace, because we have declared that we are united in Christ the very body of Christ in the world called out with a specific vocation to make sure that as far as it depends on us and the Holy Spirit working in and through and around us, that there is not one person walking around in Bellevue or anywhere else in the world that doesn't have the opportunity to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. So as we gather around this table, please know that there is one body and one spirit. That unites us. And we cultivate our deep understanding of this unity and how we worship together, yes, and how we live together, and how we sit together on the porch in two rocking chairs, preferably with a couple of cherry cokes, how we Receive a phone call from our daughter or mother whom we perhaps haven't talked to in a while. The way we gather around the Bible in a Bible reading group to read the deep truths of our faith and be encouraged by one another. The way we gather around the table to share a meal it declares that we are one because God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.